Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through the generations. And the second reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Well, thanks for that, and g'day again, everyone. Um, lovely to be here, and I hope you've uh, found it helpful just thinking about this whole issue of identity. It's a massive issue in our world, in our culture. We can't escape it, and it's actually a really good one for us to think about. Last week, I plugged a few books, uh, and this week, I'm going to do another one. There's a, another book that's out there, only a few copies, so um, grab them if you'd like it. Uh, this is one by an Australian author called Brian Rosner. Uh, The title is, How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. And so if you've been here this series, hopefully that will sort of uh, resonate with you. There's things that we've um, looked at. But this is just a really uh, helpful book, thinking about the whole issue of identity. Uh, And so there's a few copies of that out there. Uh, As we said last week, uh, we really just want these books to be read. Uh, There is an envelope in there with a price tag on there. Uh, If you're unable to afford that and you would find it beneficial to read it and it would be helpful for you, please just take it as a gift. If you're able to contribute financially towards it, just pop that in the envelope and whack it in the everything box uh, this week or next, whenever you can. Okay. Um, But on to our theme today, the last of our three series on thinking about being loved by God, being loved by God. We're thinking about love. I thought I'd share. I'd start by sharing a piece of ancient Greek wisdom uh, that I came across. It's from a first century poet, and his advice was simple. If you want to be loved, be lovable. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? If you want to be loved, be lovable. Seems pretty clear. Love comes to those who are lovable. So make yourself lovable. And the flip side of that is, Show your love only to those who are lovable, um, to you. Well, it's kind of an ancient piece of um, thinking, isn't it? But it captures a lot of how our, our society today thinks about relationships, doesn't it? Views this whole idea of love. If you want me to love you, you need to be lovable. You need, and you need to do something for me. Uh, And if you stop being lovable, if you stop giving me what I'm looking for, I'll pretty quickly, 
I'll just keep scrolling. You know, that's, that's what our plastic brains are training us to do. Just keep on scrolling. Um, this way of doing relationships is so baked into our culture, whether it's romantic relationships or friendships or workplaces, even church relationships. It's what some people have called a transactional culture, where you see everything in terms of a transaction, what it does for you, a kind of give and take transaction. So, as we've been thinking about, we're thinking about the whole issue of identity over these three weeks, uh, the last couple of weeks and this week. Uh, we've, we've seen a couple of weeks ago how modern identity teaches us to look inward, to look inward to your inner feelings and desires, and that's where you will find out who you really are, who you really are. But we, and we've seen this along the way. Um, modern identity is ultimately a really, it's a failing and fragile way to live. It's a failing and fragile way to live. And the gospel gives us a far richer identity. An identity that starts not by looking around us like in traditional identities, not by even by looking inside of us. It's an identity that starts by looking up, looking up to God. We receive our identity as a gift from him. We don't sort of create it in our own strength. You are created by God. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Created by God in his image. Not only that, last week, what did we see? You are known by God. Fully, inside and out. He knows you. And today we're thinking about the next step in all that, kind of the outworking of all of that. We're not only known by God, this wonderful truth, friends, in Christ you are loved, loved by God. These two things go together, I think, in a really beautiful way, last week and this week. Um, uh, I've mentioned Tim Keller a couple of times this series in a book that he actually wrote about marriage, but he puts it like this. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. Um, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. So there it is. If someone loves you but doesn't really know you, it's just a superficial thing. But if someone really knew you, like really knew all the unloveliness and darkness about you, isn't that your greatest fear? This is how Keller goes on. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of self-righteousness. It fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. See what he's saying there? To be fully known and fully loved is what we need more than anything else. So today we're thinking about, last week we thought about being known by God. This week we're thinking about the flip side of that, this idea of being loved by God. It really is at the heart of the identity that you have if you're a Christian. It's at the heart of the identity that's offered to you if you're not yet a Christian. And it is a holy and beautiful gift to bask in and delight in. And if you receive it, a gift that has the power to transform you deeply, 
the deepest parts of you. Uh, So, Father, we pray for each one of us today, by the powerful working of your Holy Spirit, would we taste and see and hear and feel something new of your amazing, transforming love, your love that has been poured out in Jesus, your love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Amen. Um, So, loved by God. One of the clearest passages that you see this idea of being loved by God is one that was read for us from 1 John. It's a letter written by the Apostle John to a church, in a way a church struggling to live out their identity, um, especially in their relationships with each other. Notice how John puts it. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. See what he's saying there? The place, if you want to know about love, the place to start is not yourself, it's not the world around you, it's not love itself as some idea. The place to start is with God. Love comes from God because God is love. This takes us right to the heart of God's, we're thinking about our identity, it takes us right to the heart of God's identity, of who he is. See what I'm saying there? Love isn't just something God does. It's not just something that he has, you know, love is sort of floating around in the universe and God happens to have a whole lot of it. Uh, It's not something that he starts and stops sort of at whim. Everything he does is an expression of his love, of his love. And that is, a, that is true from eternity, from before you or me or even the universe existed. This is tapping in to a, the deepest reality of who God is. God is himself a community of eternal love. That's what we mean when we talk about the Trinity, Uh, Jesus reveals the God who is three persons in one being, the Father eternally loving the Son in the joy of the Spirit. And friends, the the Trinity isn't just a kind of weird thing for theologians to debate about, but that sort of everyone else can forget about. Um, It is actually at the heart of the Christian faith, at the heart of the universe, is the God who is the Father, Son and Spirit who from all eternity, therefore, is the God who is love. The God who is love. And I just, I know this is a little bit sort of, um, uh, you've got to sort of switch your brains on a little bit, but this does mean something really important for you when we think about your identity, we think about being loved by God. What this means is when God relates to you, He doesn't do it out of some lack or need in himself. That's how we often relate to one another, isn't it? That's how we often kind of love each other. Um, It's not as if God is really lonely and he's looking for some friends, so he makes us to feel some emptiness in himself. Um, That's how we so often love. That's sort of transactional love we looked at at the start. But it's not the way God loves. He doesn't love out of need. 
He loves out of the overflow of the fullness of his eternal love. And that means, do you see what that means? That means his love for you is not dependent on him getting stuff from you. His love for you is not a transaction. What could you possibly give to the one who from all eternity lives in perfect love? He welcomes you in not because he's seen some lovable thing within you, some merits, some impressive thing in you that he really wants on his team. He welcomes you in simply because he is love. He is love. Not because he's needy, but because he is love from eternity. And that is our only hope. It is our wonderful hope. Because in contrast to our loves, which are so mixed, aren't they? The way we love one another, so mixed. We are so often with selfishness and neediness. In contrast to that, God is the one who fully and perfectly loves the unlovely. The unlovely. Because this is the way he loves. We are loved by the God who is himself love. Out of the overflow of his eternal love. Um, that's what Jesus is getting at in his Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus says some pretty shocking things. With This one's up there. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 43. Um, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see what that's saying? Love is not just for people who I like and not just for people who I can get some return out of if I give myself to love them. Jesus says, love your enemies. Because, and you see why? Because that's how God our Father loves. And so when you do that, it's like you're kind of taking on the family likeness. You're imitating your heavenly Father. We imitate our human fathers, don't we? This came home to me recently. Uh, when I was growing up, um, my siblings and I had an ongoing sort of banter in our house about, how my, about my dad's hair colour. Um, uh, us kids all said it was black. We insisted it was black, but Dad uh, insisted that it was not black. It was dark brown. Anyway, a little while ago, Mike, uh, I had this conversation with unnamed people, uh, anonymous people, who, who told me they, they insisted that my hair was black. And I got really indignant about it. <clears throat> I got really worked up. I argued the point. I even got a professional opinion from our local barber about my hair colour. And then I realised, oh, this is, this is exact repeats. Um, I sound exactly like my poor dad. Uh, you know, you have those moments that you like, you just think, oh, wow, this is so familiar. We imitate our fathers. Sometimes it's funny like that. For some of us, it's more serious and perhaps sad. Um, some here really struggle with the way your fathers have passed down things you, didn't, you wish they didn't, uh, they hadn't passed down. And friends, at the end of the day, no human father is perfect. 
but your heavenly Father is. Your heavenly Father is and loves you with a perfect love. While, while you were still his enemy. See, there's more going on here, actually, than just imitating God our Father. There's something deeper. When you love like this, you're actually showing the love that you have received from him. In all your unloveliness, in all your sin and muck and pride, it was then that God loved you. What does God's love look like? Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. After we'd cleaned up our sin, Christ died for us. After we'd sorted our lives out, Christ died. No, what? while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or back to our passage in 1 John, 1 John 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the love of God, brothers and sisters, poured out for you if you are in Christ. I just want to pause a moment and just reflect on this. I want to ask you the question, how do you know, how do you know that God loves you? How would you sort of, just, just think about that, how would you answer that question? How do, how do you know that God loves you? And not that God loves the world in some abstract way. You might say, yes, of course God loves the world. But how do you know in a in you, for you particularly that God loves you? I think what we often do to answer that question is we tie the answer to it to our circumstances. To our circumstances here and now. Uh, sometimes we can, we can sort of, you know how little kids say, if you really loved me, you'd give me, you'd buy me that. You know, oh, <laughs> I don't have that, so you don't love me. Um, I mean, we, we can sort of be a little bit like that with God, can't we? And I, I actually, I don't want to um, downplay this because um, some of us are in very difficult circumstances and much diffi more difficult than not having a toy, you know? Like, um, it's especially hard when, when those things go on for a long time. Chronic illness, long-term unwanted singleness, a strained marriage or family life, financial difficulty. You know, I could go on and on, right? But can you see the danger here? If you say, I will believe God loves me only if I get X or only if X is taken away from me, then what you're really saying is, whatever that thing is, it counts more it's more weighty than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more important to you than God the Father sending his beloved Son to die for you, to bear your sin and to bring you into the family of God and give you the hope of glory in the new creation. 
Do you see what this passage is telling us at the wonderful and weighty truth? The cross is the once for all concrete, rock-solid proof of God's love for you. Of God's love for you. It's more lasting than your circumstances. It's deeper than your emotions. It is an anchor that will keep your soul through any storm. So that's a a kind of, I think, a, a myth about the love of God that we can often tell ourselves that it's tied to our circumstances. It's not. It's, it's anchored in the cross, and you need to come back to that again and again and again. The demonstration of God's love for you. There's another, there's another myth, though. Sometimes we can, say, we can think about the love of God as Jesus is the really loving one, but God the Father is kind of distant and a little bit grumpy with you, but sort of reluctantly lets you in. Sometimes we can think like that. Sometimes the gospel is even spoken of like that. But that is not true. In the cross, we see the overwhelming love of the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Because of his great love for us, Paul says in Ephesians, because of, because of his great love for you, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. So that is how you have been loved, that you are loved. If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're one of God's people, that is his love poured out for you. I just want to notice one more thing about this love. It's a love that it doesn't come to lovely people. It's divine love for sinners. Um, it's wonderful love poured out in Jesus at the cross. But the, the third thing I want to just quickly point out is it's a transforming love. Now, there's a great hymn we often sing around Easter time. It's called My Song is Love Unknown. Anyone know this hymn? Um, we've, we've sung it a number of times. It's a beautiful hymn. It says, My Song is Love Unknown. Love unknown, that you can't find this love anywhere else, right? My song is love unknown. My Saviour's love for me. Love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Isn't that beautiful? Love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Back to our passage, 1 John 4. John writes this in verse 11. See, this is the, the beautifying effect of God's love in this church. The, the, the way God's love is making them lovely. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's another myth about God's love out there. Um, that it's just kind of his job to love. You know, it's kind of what he does, no matter what, and it doesn't really matter how you or I live. 
Um, so it doesn't matter if you just go on living in ways um, and sort of not thinking about it, not repenting of it in ways that are sinful and proud and selfish because God is love and it's all good, right? Maybe you've heard something like that. If you think that, I think it's a pretty sure sign that you don't really know God's love at all. At all. Because his love is a holy and transforming love. You come to him as you are, wonderfully, absolutely. But he loves you too much to leave you there. God's love is so great for you that he wants to transform you and change you from the inside out so that you are more and more like Jesus. Um, the thing that John, did you notice what John highlights here though about this transforming work? There's lots of things you could say about it, but John highlights this. If you've received and been filled up by this love, how, how's that going to transform you? It has to overflow to the people around you, and especially to your church family. That is the, the outworking of God, the love of God that John highlights here. Um, if you love one another, if we, in this particular local church family, these real people here, <laughs> if we in this community love one another like that, if we love one another like that, if you happily and humbly serve your church family as you're able, if you come not to be served but to serve, if you do that not because you'll get something out of it like some transaction, but simply out of the security and fullness of God's love which has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit, then amazingly, what does John say? God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's how God's love is transforming of our lives. Okay, I want to wrap things up. I, I came across, in sort of researching for this, looking, um, thinking about this sermon, I came across a sermon by an 18th century American guy uh, called, his, his name was Jonathan Edwards. You might have heard of him a really wonderful theologian and writer. Some of the words are a bit ye olde Englishy, but so bear with it. Um, but he, he describes God like this. He is an infinite and incomprehensible fountain of love. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was around during what was known as a, the Great Awakening, if you've heard of that. A spiritual hunger and response to Jesus that swept across the country. And uh, Edwards was sort of one of the key parts of this and, um, uh, yeah, relating to that. And I, I just wanted to read you a part of his sermon, especially for those of us here who have not yet put their trust in Jesus, those of us who are not yet Christians. Um, Edwards talks about this. He talks about the divine love of God, what we've been talking about. And he, he says this. I'm going to just read this out. He says, consider this especially if you have not yet trusted in Jesus. As high and excellent as this principle of divine love is, basically saying as awesome as the love of God is, 
It could be yours. It could be yours. Though you are completely destitute of any divine love and your heart is cold and dead as a statue, yet you may receive this divine and supernatural attainment. The power of God is sufficient for warming that cold heart and for softening and melting that hard heart of yours. God is love, and he is the fountain of all divine love. He is an infinite fountain, the overflowing fountain. In him you may have supply of this sweet and heavenly principle. Many have attained to this who were as far off as you. It's no argument against your obtaining it that you are so far from it now or that you are so undeserving of it and so vile and wicked. God has of his sovereign grace bestowed it on all sorts of sinners and it could be yours. Two, consider how much better is this divine love than the love of the world. Consider how base those things are that you set your heart upon. Can you find nothing better than the dross of this earth to set your love upon? What have you actually gotten by setting your heart on the world? What is it you expect from the world? Will, what will make you happy? What will you do when you must leave it, when death comes? Will you take the world with you? Will your earthly pursuits be a strong castle to keep death out or defend you from divine wrath? And listen to this. How little you will actually have of the world and how hard it is earned. But how much you can have in divine love and how freely given. How little you, can, you will actually have of the world and how hard it is earned. But how much you can have in divine love and how freely given divine love is better than anything the world can offer and maybe you need to hear that this day and come into the embrace of this love but for for all of us i just want to wrap up this short series um, this whole topic of identity is huge um, it's more and more prominent. It's something that our culture is more and more focused on and thinking about in our everyday lives. And the purpose of this series has been to try to give us all a new, kind of a new template as we start. You know what templates are? How you start a new document, and when you do that, you click on File, New from Template, something like that. Um, and so just think about yourself. It's like we do that every day. We wake up and we sort of we switch on and we click file, new day from template. Um, and none of us actually have a blank day. We all have a template. Um, we click new from template, new day from template. So friends, when it comes to your identity, what's your template? Um, is it the template of this world? Wake up, click new from template. I am my own. My destiny is all in my hands. Wake up, new day from template. I am theirs. They own me. It's hopeless. New day, new day from template. 
I am wonderful and proud and faultless. <laughs> uh, new day from template. I am horrible and un utterly unlovable. Well, friends, here is a far better template to open each day with to see you through this life and into the next. What is it? In Jesus Christ, if you come to him and put your faith in him and live with him as your saving king, in Jesus Christ, this is your new template. You are created by God in his image. You belong to him. You are known by God fully, utterly, warts and all. And at the same time, you are loved by God with an everlasting and transforming love. You are made by God. You are known by God. You are loved by God. That's your template. Let's pray. Oh God, with Paul in Ephesians, I'm, I'm going to pray this prayer that Paul prayed. I pray that out of, out of your glorious riches, you might strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout.